Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Friends, thanks for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russett, your host, here again with Pastor Frank Friedman. Hey, Frank, how's it going, my friend? It's a Good Monday. A lot on the plate to look forward to getting off my plate. So (laughs) I trust yours is the same. Oh, my one Monday is wonderful. But as a retired person, my Mondays look rather different from yours, I suspect. (laughs) Uh, But friends, uh, we've been talking through in this series of episodes, uh, Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Grave, The Lonely Path of Pain. And last episode, we started focusing on the final chapter. And it's got a really curious name. When the pain feels too great, and it's a chapter on suicide. What a gut-wrenching topic, my friend, wasn't it? It certainly stunned me to talk through it. Yes, it's a a painful subject because people get left behind and they have more questions than answers. And uh, it leaves their guts in a blender and and those haunting questions of why and how that are never going to get answered because that person's no longer here to answer them. That's right. So it, it, it really uh, just cripples the survivors. And, and it's so sad because, you know, it, it robbed the person of their own opportunity to let God write a different ending to their story that could have been more triumphant instead of terrible. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult subject, John. I got to be honest with you. I've experienced it and I, I don't really like talking about it. I'd rather talk about love <laughs> or something like that. But this topic has to be dealt with. And unfortunately, I don't think we've done a good job in the church of talking about it. No, I think you're right. And listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, Please, before we listen to this, go back to the one immediately preceding this. Um, it lays some groundwork. Frank and I talk a lot about just the background behind suicide, how foreign, how alien it is to us, because we are all created with God's breath of life in us. And it's the most destructive and dishonoring thing we can do for ourselves. So please check that out and then come back and join us here today. Well, Frank, we left off last time with a statement that you made to a, uh, a counselee who was considering suicide. And you told them this. This is where I want to begin. You told them this, a spirit-led statement. Friend, you don't want to kill yourself. You just want to stop hurting. You want the pain to stop. So I want to pick it up right there with a term that you coined and you coined the term painicide rather than suicide. And so I want to give you some time to expand that term. 
what it means in your mind, why you chose it, and how it's more descriptive of the struggles that we face. So go ahead. Hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't ask you know, good questions, <laughs> brother. You know that. You want a softball question, go talk to somebody else. Oh, John. In my heart of hearts, when I look at Jesus, the thing that I see in him, if somebody was going to ask me, what's the one word that you would use to describe Jesus so that people would understand him better? And the one word that would be at the forefront of my mind is compassion. When we see somebody, sometimes we have pity and we feel sorry for them. Sometimes we can feel empathy. And instead of sympathy, we feel empathy. And empathy is we try to feel what they feel, and that's better. But compassion's a whole nother animal. It's where we try to feel what they feel and enter into a verb form and do something about it. You know, that's what motivated most of Jesus' miracles. He looked at the woman and he had compassion. He looked at that centurion with his dying child and he had compassion. And John, unfortunately, compassion is a very rare virtue in the world. And really sadly, compassion's rare in the church. And when we look at somebody who fails, you know, a lot of times we judge them, we criticize them. And when we look at somebody who takes their life, um, I hear a lot of things. I hear, boy, that was selfish of them. And, and uh, they weren't even thinking of the people that were leaving behind. And, and I hear that. I really, really do. But having been on the doorstep of almost taking my own life with a plan many, many years ago, the thing that was in my own journey was that the pain was so great that not even the love of those I love and that love me was keeping me here. That's how painful pain can be. And for us to just use this cold, sterile term suicide, you know, the fact of taking your life, to me just doesn't convey what's going on. And to coin a new term, pain aside, to try to instill compassion into people and maybe start to recognize how so many people in this world are hurting, that maybe we would function in the role that Jesus functioned and become people of compassion. So I'm hoping that that term just catches on as people read the book that we gain a new vocabulary. I actually had people, John, who, when they were editing the book for me and giving me their reviews, did not like me coining a word, didn't want me to use the word pain aside because the word doesn't exist. And I would write back to them and I said, well, I'm going to be a stubborn author on this one because I want the word to come to exist <laughs> so that we'd recognize people don't want to die. It's not by nature. They, they just don't want to hurt. Yeah. And suicide is an end to your pain. 
as we've said, it's an illegitimate <laughs> end, man. It, it, it's a lie. It's a deception. But you said that. But it works. <laughs> That's yes, it the does. problem. It ends your pain. But when you said illegitimate, there is another kind of death. The idea of an illegitimate means there's an illegitimate. The idea of a counterfeit means there's something real. And that's when you say, what? What are John and Frank talking about? Suicide or painicide is a death that is destructive. It leaves a lot of shattered people behind. But there is a death taught in the New Testament that is constructive, resurrective, restorative, where we in our faith learn from Romans 6 that we got crucified with Jesus. And you know, John, I went to seminary. I was a pastor. I don't think I ever understood it. I taught it, but I didn't understand it. We always say Jesus died for my sins. I'll draw a cross. I'll say, what happened there? Well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, you're missing half the gospel. The other half is by faith. He put you on the cross and killed you, buried you and resurrected you. And John, when I saw that, when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, my self-hatred ended. My shame was still there. It's a fight, <laughs> but it was less than tenfold, 50-fold, because that little stinker, that controlling, manipulative, arrogant, rebellious, on and on and on guy was crucified, and he's dead. He doesn't exist anymore. I was resurrected as a brand new creation. So I think what Satan is doing, John, and I really believe this was all my heart, that he is offering a counterfeit gospel. In the New Testament, we can die and be free, free from our past, free from ourselves, free from our sin, free from guilt, free from shame. And he offers a satanic gospel, kill yourself and be free. And that's what's happening. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, John, I really do believe this, that a person who is suicidal is actually closer to understanding the fullness of the gospel than the average evangelical sitting in the pew because they're ready to embrace the idea of dying. That's right. I echo your sentiments that they are so very close to the truth because they got the solution right. You know, they're facing their problems, whether they're physical or emotional. They got the solution right. Death is the key. If I die, I'll be free. And, you know, they've got the tool right, Frank, because yes. they have faith. They have incredible faith because, really, they don't know what comes after death. But right. they have enough faith that they believe that whatever it is, it's better than what they have now. And so they're willing to exercise that faith and step into the unknown. And I like to look at it this way. They have the bow. They have the arrow. They're just pointed at the wrong target. Yeah. Yeah. You know, John, when I understood what the gospel is really all about, that it was a, a union with Christ. And that so whatever happened to him happened to me. And I've been crucified. But then I realized 
I don't have to take my life because I've already died. <laughs> and that is the glory of this thing called the new covenant that Jesus established. And so these people, oh, they're so close to truth. And, you know, actually, John, I, I love when a suicidal comes in because I can tell them, boy, if I got good news for you and then lead them to that understanding and then they can enter into some freedom and begin to walk in victory. And uh, it's, it's glorious instead of uh, destructive. Yeah, it is. I want to go back to uh, a topic that we mentioned just a few moments ago. We didn't really focus on it. I'd like to go back and do it a little bit deeper dive. Uh, it's the idea of the enemy presenting a counterfeit gospel, a lie. Well, we know from Ephesians chapter six that uh, Christians have armor, the armor of God. When you go into any Christian bookstore, I don't even feel they have those anymore. But you, we'd go into Christian bookstores and they'd sell all these action figures of little people wearing the armor of God. The point is that Christian life is a warfare, which means we have an enemy, a really, really skillful enemy. Uh, scripture tells us that Satan is the source of every lie out there. Mm. And he is so clever, Frank. He is so good that Paul tells us that he can even be so brilliant that we can mistake him for an angel of light. Mm. And he tells us also, Paul does, that his cronies, his henchmen, those are the words I like to use, can appear as agents of righteousness. So we're not, we're not walking through like a silly Halloween costume where we can spot right through the mask. This is going to be difficult. This warfare is a struggle, especially when it comes to this aspect of the false gospel, the satanic gospel. Die and you'll be free. Boy, it is, it is tough to spot. You use the phrase, when we, before we began this podcast, use the phrase, it's like an illicit lover. So alluring, but just so wrong. Expand on that term if you can, please. Yeah, I, I actually saw that on a book title. And that was what the author had said, was that suicide is an illicit lover. And, you know, you just think about that title and you run with it, a lover. Boy, that's what we all long for. We long for someone to... Uh, wrap their arms around us and we lose ourselves in their embrace. And there is the potential with that lover to uh, satisfy the deepest desires we have. And so it's actually very powerful to hear, Diane, you'll be free. It's a, it's, it's a love it's speaking the language of love in the economy of death. And so it's a deception. And, you know, you can just, I just hear the enemy. Uh, die and you'll be free. It's the truth. But he's twisting the truth just as sure as he did it back in Genesis with Eve. Uh, he always... He speaks enough truth so that it sounds good to us. Oh, yes. But boy, it's appealing to us, and but it's wrapped up in lying death. And 
it's it's so sad but that's that's exactly what's happening you know i, I as i'm thinking there john it's it's like um moses you know when he was doing battle with uh, pharaoh's magicians uh, they duplicated the miracles that moses did and the idea there was that our power the one we're tapped into has the same power that your source does and that's what the enemy tries to do. That's always been his MO is because he wanted to be like God himself. And so he's going to try to offer whatever God offers. But with a twist, uh, it doesn't bring life. It brings death. That's right. And I want to uh, pause here and just give a, a reminder to our listeners that if you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or you know someone who is, realize first and foremost that as good and as logical and as right and as problem solving as those ideas might sound, they are lies. Mm -hmm. They are cleverly, cleverly crafted deceptions that the enemy is parading in front of you. Because remember, scripture tells us that he doesn't want anything for our good. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And when you unpack those three words, you get something like this. He wants to take us out of the picture because mm -hmm. we're a pain. We're a soldier in the army of the kingdom. He wants us out. Mm -hmm. He wants to steal, take everything that's precious to us, our family, our friends, uh, whatever we value, he wants to take that and crush it. And then he wants to destroy our legacy, not only destroy us, but every good thing we've ever done. And I'll tell you something, when we juggle the thought of suicide, we're telling Satan, yes, sir, you're right. Mm. I'm on board to help. So friends, it is a smokescreen. Uh, there is a still small voice of truth in there. But what Father wants you to do is recognize a lie for what it is and turn to him. You'll hear his voice because he promised that you would. And he can be the anchor you need to hold on tight when the floods of the world are running over top of you. Wow. Yeah, I, I you know, embracing the fact that we were crucified with Christ, John, has completely disarmed that attack of the enemy in my life. Uh, I still get the thoughts, um, but I recognize those for what they are. And, you know, sometimes I, I talk, nowhere in scripture are we told to talk to the enemy, but sometimes I do. And I'll, you know, I'll say, hey, buddy, I'm not buying that one. I've already died, you dummy. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a glorious revelation to know that you can be made brand new and whatever pain or hurt is driving you to contemplate those thoughts that he feeds to your mind. There is a God who promises to be everything to you. Uh, even in the midst of great pain, he can be that, as you quoted last time, John, that uh, balm of Gilead, uh, the one who brings healing and strength 
and comfort. So you can, hear those words, please. You can get through what you can't get over. And uh, you may carry some hurt to the grave, but I guarantee you, you'll carry it no further. That's right. And even when you carry that hurt, he's going to carry you. And that's his promise. That's right. So that's a great segue, Frank. We've talked about the problem. We've talked about the liar and the deception to get us to do this. But I want to spend some time now talking about the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and you started it uh, with that quote you just said, uh, God provides a way through the things we can't get over. Uh, he isn't a way out. You know, we all want to eject, you know, be me up, Scotty, get me out of here. Uh, but he provides a way through. That's how he worked with Jesus. That's how he works with us. It sounds so easy, Frank. You know, hey, in fact, we can even make a plaque and sell that. Uh, God isn't a way out. He's a way through. You know, we can put it on hats and T-shirts. Uh, we can retire uh, wealthy people. But it, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And when I think about that, a way through, my mind goes back to Psalm 23 the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, there's shadow there. That means there's no sunlight. You can see the light kind of far away, but it doesn't really hit you. You're in a valley. You feel boxed in. You feel trapped. Every place you look, you see death. And so that describes the problem. But then the psalmist provides the solution. And he says, basically, I'm going to quote your favorite phrase now, these recent weeks, but God, mm -hmm. but God is there with you, man. We, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. God's there. And he's got this, Frank, and he's got his rod and his staff. Now, I like his staff because it gives us support. When I hike in the desert, I have two staffs. I'm so old and weak. I need two <laughs> staffs, you know, and we sure need that support. But he also has a rod <laughs> and a rod has many uses as I've, as I've learned over the years. But one of them that's key is this. The shepherd will take the sheep, hold it carefully, and then he will use that rod to examine the fleece to part it and to look for debris, to look for parasites, to look for anything that damages the fleece, which of course is the fruit. Mm. And as I thought about this, when we struggle with dark circumstances, when Satan parades that thought of suicide in front of us, it's in times like this in the valley that we are often most willing to allow God in to deal with things that, that have caused us to be here, things that from his perspective are damaging our fruit because mm -hmm. he wants us to be fruitful. And so this pain that we're in, uh, there is a way through, but realize that there is a purpose. It's not just a, a earn a Boy Scout badge and you survive the valley of the shadow of death. There's a purpose in this that God would remove from our lives those things that are impacting our ability to bear fruit for him and to reduce our ability to, to evidence his life to others. So there's a purpose. You're not lost. You're not floundering. You're not doomed. 
God's got you in a place where he's going to use these circumstances to bring something better into our lives. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes, John. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think a lot of us have the mistaken view that when we come to Christ, we enter into an ethereal float through this world. And it's, uh, I think sometimes pastors uh, mistakenly communicate that. Uh, we look, for example, at the book of Hebrews, you know, by faith, you know, uh, Moses part of the Red Sea and by faith, Noah built an ark and survived a worldwide flood. And by faith, Joshua knocked down the walls of Jericho. And, and we love that chapter. I, I love that chapter. It's encouraging and exciting to hear how God showed up in mighty ways. But about halfway through the chapter, he says, and then there were those by faith who were not delivered. Uh, who were sawn in two, who had to live in caves, who lost their children, who lost their jobs. And, and that's part of this faith thing too. Um, and that's why I think when Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith, uh, one of the worst translations I've ever seen, the Greek is very clear, it's black and white. It's actually agonized in the good agony of faith. And faith is an agony. You know, we can see what's right in front of us and how it doesn't feel good, doesn't look good. Uh, but we don't see God who is good and altogether good and does only good. So it becomes an agony uh, to, to trust what we cannot see against what we see and feel. And that's hard work. But, you know, in, in that same book of Hebrews, it says of our Lord, our master, that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And the word obedience, another poor translation, and when, I, when I hear the word obedience, John, I think of conformity, external conformity. Uh, but the word is actually hupakuo, and it's a compound word. It means to listen under the voice. And that's what Jesus did. When he suffered in this fallen world, as we're all going to, there was, as you said, a purpose in the pain. He was learning, being schooled to listen under the voice of his father. And that's so important because there's a lot of competing voices that drown out his voice. And, you know, John, I, I guess I would say if this was the school that the master was in, what makes us think we're not going to be in the same school? And I think the graduation of this school is not that we get delivered from the struggle, but that we find him in a way we never knew him, which is exactly what happened with Job. And he said, you know, I used to know about you from what I had heard about you, but now my own eyes see. And that man had gone through a lot of pain, John, and I've never lost a child. I can't imagine losing a child. He lost 10 in one shot. But I got to believe, in fact, you can't tell me that he didn't continue to carry that pain to his grave. But he died a blessed and happy man. And I believe that's because he found God in a way he never knew him. As his shepherd, as you mentioned, 
who will hold your hand with you and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. And boy, John, I think when that happens, we become very dangerous people in the kingdom of God. <laughs> boy, you got that right. Because he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we will be the same kind of man or woman. And we are functioning at that time in our lives as his elite special forces. Um, we get it. We get what it means to trust God in a world that uh, can really sting us sometimes. No, and I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and, and then we can be used to help others in that same journey. And that's what makes us dangerous. That's right. You know, you, you mentioned something a few sentences back about uh, that we need the person of God himself. Um, my mind jumped back immediately. I had not seen this before until just this second. Jump back immediately to that very, very same passage we just talked about, Psalm 23. Uh, the psalmist writes, in the midst of his pain, he said, thou art with me. His first thought was to God. I would have said, hey, God, I'd like a path out of here, please. Can I have a <laughs> flashlight? You know, can you give me a, a, a pool of water over here? I, you know, we all tend to look for the solutions. Mm. But the psalmist looked to God. And then he says, then your rod and staff come from me. So God has the tools to provide what we need. But there's an order, Frank. There's a mm. sequence. And it has to come from us turning to him first. Because he doesn't just give us those things. He gives us himself. Mm. You know, Jeremiah 29 says, you will seek not what I can do for you. You will seek me. Mm. And you will find me. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's something we just overlook uh, in this world because we tend to just look for answers. Yeah. You know, as, as listening to, I had a verse pop in my mind, John, it's in Isaiah. And he says, though you go through deep waters, and I would like that verse to read, he will calm them. <laughs> but yes. he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, I will be with you. And I think the glory that we need to lay hold of is sometimes God does deliver us, but he never promises that. What he promises is I'll be with you. And that is the deliverance. You know, I, in the book, I, we put a quote from a dear friend that I have walked with for many years, and we were discussing his pain. And I said to him, Nico, I said, uh, you know, as I've told you before, my friend, there is no manual, no guidebook to walk through pain in this world. And out of his mouth, John came these amazing words. He said, no, Papa. He calls me Papa. He says, no, Papa, there is no manual. There is only Emmanuel. He is the manual. Yeah. And of course, Emmanuel means God with us. That's right. Oh, what, what? What dynamic, uh, what a dynamic phrase came out of his mouth. Uh, Emmanuel is our manual. That's wow. right. And uh, I know Nico as well. And a lot of things come out of Nico's mouth. 
that don't really sound quite like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his podcast, I guess we can plug him, is called R-Rated Christianity. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But anyway, you know, uh, even, even I, I'm not going to say that anything except this, even I, lowly I, can be used by the Holy Spirit to speak life. And on occasion when I've done that, it certainly has surprised people because they didn't expect to hear it from me. <laughs> All right. You know, I got one more idea I want to okay. talk about here, Frank, before we wrap this up. And this is uh, basically a laboratory exercise for, for both us and our listeners. Because everything you've heard, everything we've talked about in the past couple of episodes uh, is good stuff. It's true. It can lead us to life. The last thing our enemy wants is for us to not only know this, but to live it, to walk it, to experience it. And so he is going to fight this every step of the way, which gets us back, Frank, to that comment I made earlier about us being constantly in a warfare. And so I took the time to transcribe a, a passage, two verses from 2 Corinthians 10. You know where I'm going. And I'm going to read this from the amplified version. And I'm going to add my own amplification to the amplified. So it's a double amplified. <laughs> so here we go. When we know the truth and the enemy parades lies in front of us, we fight a war. But the weapons of our warfare aren't physical weapons like swords and shields and helmets. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. They're divine. They're powerful, not only for defending against the enemy, but for destroying strongholds, tearing down fortresses. We destroy these sophisticated arguments because that's what Satan does, right? He crafts mm -hmm. a sophisticated argument and parades in front of us. We can destroy those. And we can destroy every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And boy, doesn't that sound like suicide. Mm, and then boy. we can take every single thought and purpose that parades through our minds that he may run in front of us. We take every one of those and we take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, if we're in a warfare, what do we do with captives? Well, we interrogate them, right? I've seen enough World War II movies to know what we do. <laughs> this is a war. So we take them, we interrogate them. We learn what they know. We pry from them the truth, separate the truth from the lie, and then act on the truth to our advantage. That's what this passage means, because we're in a war and we have an enemy who will pitch lies to us. Take those lies, Captain. I used to tell uh, a senior high Sunday school class many years ago, uh, a little trick that I found helpful to separate the voice from the, of the enemy from the voice of the spirit. Take that, thou, that thought that's parading through your mind Say it out loud and then add the phrase in Jesus' name. For mm. example, I think I'll run my car into the tree in Jesus' name. You feel the tension? 
I think I'll take my life in Jesus name. You feel the tension. Mm. And so it's, it's a simple exercise, but sometimes we have to do a hard work to focus our mind on what exactly we need to do to separate the truth from the lies. Wow. You know, as I was listening to you, John, and you talked about the truth of the gospel versus the complexity of all the lies. And I couldn't help but think of that little chorus, Jesus loves me, this I know. The simplicity that, you know, when I'm alone, I'm, I'm hurting, I see no way out, I'm going to take my own life, just this simplicity. He loves me. And he wants to set me free. And the simplicity of the gospel is powerful against those very complex lies. What a, what a great, great reminder, John. That's right. Well, we're about out of time, my friend. Uh, any last pearls of wisdom before we sign off? Let me ask you a question. Are we going to come back to suicide or is we going to wrap that up today? Well, uh, we can do as you wish. You're the boss. <laughs> well, what's your intention? Have we dealt with that today, do you think? Uh, I think we've covered the chapter, but okay. if there's more, no, uh, we certainly can come back. The reason I ask is I'm hesitant to share this. I've thought about it the last several minutes when it popped in my mind, but I, I feel a compulsion at the same time. I don't want to divert from this issue of understanding pain and looking for a way out of pain by coming to the truth instead of the lie of the enemy. But I, I had a thought, John, it came into my mind. I can't tell you where I got it. It might've been an anecdote that I read. It might've been a conversation I had with God and it, these thoughts came in my brain. I don't remember where it came from, but it, I was addressing in prayer, the issue of suffering as Christians. And this thought that I had, and again, I don't know the source, was, you know, when we're in eternity and we've been there thousands of years with the Lord Jesus, face to face, enjoying intimate union, worship, joy, peace, we might be inspired to come to our Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I love you so much. I would suffer for you. And were we to ask that, his response would be, sorry, my child, you had one shot at that. And never again will you ever have the opportunity to trust me in the midst of suffering again. Uh, that's a powerful thought, John. Uh, it smacks of Hebrews those people who trusted and were not delivered. And I think it's appropriate that we end this time on suicide with this thought. If you are out there and you are trusting God and you're not being delivered from that painful circumstance, you're not being delivered from that physical pain, from the trauma that just buffets your soul from the events of the past. Um, if the pain and the hurt is traveling with you on vacation and it keeps you awake at night and yet you continue to trust God, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 has a word for you. 
And what he says is this, the world is not worthy of you. When you trust God and are not delivered, but continue to trust God, the Holy Spirit says to you, the world is not worthy of you. Oh my goodness, John, what do we say to that? Well, I know what I say to that. Uh, Listeners, you've just experienced how Frank and I decide our next podcast topics. Uh, Absolutely powerful. We will return to this at some point, my friend. Uh, Wow. We are not worthy. I'm sorry. The world is not worthy of us. Wow. I don't know what to say except to thank you for sharing your time with us as we've uh, plowed through this newest book of Pastor Frank's the Lonely Path of Pain, Finding God in the Gray. We've been talking about the most painful of topics, suicide. Uh, so thanks for joining us. We know it hasn't been easy for us. We trust it hasn't been easy for you, but that it will be equipping and powerful and enlightening for you. So please check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. Look around, check us out. Uh, check out some of the resources we have. Sign up for our newsletter. Um, check out our newest members portal. A lot of old stuff there from the vault that we'll be resurrecting in time. And of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms. And as always, we close with this reminder. And Frank, as I think about it, it is an even more um, pointed reminder with this topic of suicide uh, than it often is. And this reminder comes from Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. When the enemy says quit, the enemy says let go, the enemy says give up. Um, scripture says there is an anchor that won't move. Uh, First Peter calls it a living hope. We call it a resolute hope. Mm. It's a steadfast, it's immovable. It's a foundational kind of hope that will never let us down. So trust it. Uh, what's this foundation? It's not a. It's not a rock. It's not a truth. It's not a. It's not a message. It's a person. It's Jesus. So today and always, choose hope, and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today, and you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.